Good morning. I'm going to read the scripture. My name is Shane Beidler. I serve on the stewards committee and I get to play with the soundboard occasionally. If you could stand. Matthew 19, 27 through 2016. <clears throat> then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. And then we will have, Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in this new world, when the Son of Man will sit on the righteous throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, <clears throat> will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do they stand there idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And then evening came, and the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And those hired about the eleventh hour came, and each of them received a denarius. When those hired came first, and they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to what has borne the burden of the day and scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me at Denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give the last workers as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I chose with the belongs to me? Or do you begrudge me my generosity? So the last days will be, last will be first and the first last. Uh, quickly, this is very important. We did it first service and it was incredibly interesting. Uh, I can't even begin to tell you all the different discussions we got into right off the bat. So, uh, you'll need a partner, so look left or right. It's awkward if you all look left at the same time, so just do that back and forth thing. Look right next to each other. And this is the question you must decide for yourselves, and I need you to debate uh, and, and really come to some reasoning behind it. Would you rather have no elbows or no knees? You have 20 seconds. Please, please begin discussion. All right, you have five seconds, closing remarks, closing remarks. Three, two, one. Okay, where are my no elbow folks? All right, quick question in the debate. How would you eat? With your feet, well done. Okay, where there's the facey. Okay, where are my no knees people? 
No knees? Yes, how would you sit down on the great throne in the bathroom? <laughs> these are challenges you must discuss in these really pivotal questions of life. If you had no elbows and no... Fortunately, you can dance regardless of either of those situations. I will not show you, but maybe another time. Uh, that's what I like to call a segue to allow me to open my notes. So with that, will you guys pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your word. Uh, will you help us to uh, be able to settle into what it is you have for us today? God, I pray you speak to us through your living word. We thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for salvation. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, my name is Kyle. For those of you who don't know, I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, and Chris is out doing just the work of ministry. He's out seeking the lost and, and really out there in that hot, dreary Hawaiian sand. So if you guys will be praying for him this Thanksgiving season, he needs it. He needs all of our prayers. Um, recapping from last week, does any remember, anybody remember what we talked about? Feel free to shout it out. Matthew, Matthew very good. Rich young ruler. Rich, both are correct. Um, so it's important as we jump into this section in Matthew to recap where we've been, because it's kind of a big continuous thought. It's a moment where there's an individual, the rich young ruler, uh, who comes and just says, what must I do to be saved? Uh, Chris talked us through this all last week, but it's important to kind of hit the same topical moments leading up to these next sections, as well as uh, just give us some context for it. So as the rich young ruler comes, in, the, in, in that time period, riches were not bad. If you were seen in Jewish culture to have riches, it meant that you were receiving the blessing of the Lord, and you were closer to God, you were favored by God, you had position and power and authority, and, and we needed to be more like you because surely God's blessing you. And what's interesting is this rich young ruler comes and he says, what must I do to be saved? And uh, Jesus goes through this whole discussion with him, sell all you have, and at the end he says those really challenging words to his disciples and to the people that were sitting there after the rich young ruler had left. He said, uh, it's easier for a camel to go through than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's kind of where we left off and had some challenges. And Chris asked you guys to process and think through that uh, in its entirety and kind of a bigger picture. And as, as you're thinking through that and as we're coming off of that story, Peter says something really interesting just right off the bat. And I love Pete. He just says, you know, you can see him working it out on his fingers. And he says, you know, Lord, we gave up everything. So what does that mean for us? We've left everything. What does that mean for us? It's a really interesting question. And oftentimes, uh, Peter gets a bad rap. I think it's pretty easy to like sucker punch Peter because he always says what he's thinking and he gets himself in trouble. You know, Jesus tells him, uh, no, no, Peter. And there, there, Peter, and tries to encourage him. And so often we kind of use that analogy to see ourselves in kind of the processing moment. Uh, and as I originally was studying for this, uh, you guys this week and praying for you and praying for uh, just the opportunity that's here. Um, I, I was challenged. I actually had an, enti an entirely different message, and now I have this one, so sorry. Um, I was challenged by the Lord, especially last night. I was just processing through a lot of things, and that question that Peter asked, uh, I don't think it was a bad one, and I don't think it came out of greed, and I don't think it came out of a position of, like, of, uh, of misunderstanding. I think Jesus was putting, or Jesus, Peter was putting two and two together, he was seeing, he saw the rich man, and he's culturally being challenged. Okay, it's hard for rich to get into heaven. So I, and he's like, so what, what about us? What does that mean for us? We've, we've done what you've asked us to do. We, I left my business. I left my family. I'm following you. I've given it all. Yeah, I'm making mistakes, but I'm with you this whole way. What does that mean for me? Surely that doesn't mean that I have to be desolate, destitute, and poor for the rest of my life. 
That's an interesting question. And if you think about it to yourself, you don't have to raise hands or anything, but I, we've all been challenged with that thought, right? What my, oh man, to be a Christian, do I, really have to, do I really have to do what Jesus said? Do I really have to give those things up? And, and if I do, what does that mean for me in the end? It, does it mean we just end up with nothing? Like that, I think that can't be right. And it's interesting, right? So you look at the context, and my favorite part about this is Jesus answers him directly and doesn't rebuke him, doesn't challenge him, doesn't, doesn't say, nope, wrong, nothing like that. He just immediately looks at him and gives him two responses. And these three verses, 27, 28, 29, 30, that's actually four, now that I counted it out loud. Um, it, they, there's this huge challenge with them that I think lead us into the parable, right? Because they're having a real moment. They've seen a real challenge be placed to the rich young ruler. Jesus expre- expresses something that, is, that, is, that hits them right at the heart, and they're trying to grapple with it. I mean, what does that mean for us? And then Jesus says in these three ver- four verses this, uh, this response, and then he gives an analogy in a parable. So before we hit the parable, let's look at the analogy. He says, or he, he, what Jesus said. In verse 27, he says something that I can't get around, and I don't have a great explanation for. I'm not a theologian. I studied it real hard, um, but I'm just going to put this to you. Whatever I say today, guys, that's why we have the Word of God, and there's tons of versions of this in all languages. Please read it for yourself. I'm not trying to tell you what you should think. I'm just trying to challenge you to follow Jesus more. So as we look at this, Jesus responds with two answers to Peter's question. What does this mean for us? We left everything first thing that Jesus says is, you'll be given authority. You'll be given authority. You will sit over the 12 tribes of Israel and you will judge them in the kingdom and in the age to come, in the renewal of all things. So we'll pause right there. That's a big statement and we can go a ton of different ways and debate. I think essentially where, where I'm at with it and where I landed was, Jesus said it and it means something and I can't, get, I can't get around it. I can't Americanize it for you. There's a kingdom. And where there's a king, there's no democracy. There's the king. And then the kingdom has its rulers and positions that need help, right? There's a king. He doesn't do everything. He has people that help him and support him, help encourage, guide, lead, direct the kingdom to come. And in those positions, Jesus is telling his disciples, you will have position and authority in my kingdom to come in this next age. Now, what's important for you guys to realize is uh, this is a very different concept for us. We try to make it a democracy right off the bat. Well, that means we all get and all this. Well, how does it make it equal? And these guys are looking for the kingdom. They're They're not expecting eternal life yet. They're not thinking of Jesus dying, raising from the dead, and flipping the world upside down. They're waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for God to restore all things, to usher in his kingdom and make it right, to put God's chosen people back on top, and to rule and reign and restore it all. And in that, they're asking this, what does it mean for us in that setting? If we have to give up everything now, and it's coming around the corner in this kingdom, what does that mean for us? And they're expecting it, you know, days, weeks, months, maybe in a couple years. They're not thinking this big, broader perspective. They're looking at it through this lens, and Jesus speaks to them and says, you will. You will have authority in my kingdom to come. So I'm just going to put a pin in that one and, and challenge you all. If you haven't heard that concept of the, of the kingdom of God, it's all over the Bible. And it's uh, riddled throughout the New Testament. And there are a ton of challenges when it comes to that. And I would encourage you guys to study that for yourselves. We'll get there in Matthew 25. So don't worry, we'll have lots more questions when it comes to that authority piece. But the second part of his response is what in, informs the parable, which is really the, where I kind of want to land this morning. So the second part he says is, 
those, those who have given up mother, father, brother, sister, houses, fields, farms, they'll not be forgotten. They'll receive a hundredfold in the, in the age to come. They will receive plenty. They will be restored what was not. That idea of Job. Job lost it all. Job got ten times as much as he had before as he processed this whole thing. It would have made sense to their brains and their minds. But the interesting challenge about that is it really is in line with this inheritance. So Jesus answers Peter by saying, yes, you'll have power and authority and you will receive an inheritance. This inheritance is kind of an interesting concept. So when you look at verse 28 and you look at um, the, the topic of fields, farms, giving up these things. Uh, you guys remember back in Matthew 8 where we talked about uh, the disciple who came up and said, I want to follow you, but can I please bury my father first? And Jesus says, no, let the dead bury their dead. Jesus wasn't trying to be like a real turd. Uh, what that meant at that time was, he wasn't saying like, my dad just died and I got to put him in the ground. I think Jesus would have been like, surely I'll help you dig the hole. It'll be fine. But what he was saying culturally, what it made sense was this. Families lived very differently than we do now. Uh, a dad would have, get married, dad. A man would get married, they would have kids. Let's say they had three kids, uh, three sons, and they all get married. And they're living on a piece of, piece of land, and they're growing food and things. And as the land begins to grow and produce, and the kids get married, they build houses and create a compound right then and there. And then it kind of repeats themselves. They continue to build houses, families grow, and it expands and expands and expands. And the wealth and the inheritance of that family grows. So when Jesus is saying those who've given up fields and farms, he's not just talking about the actual plot of land. He's talking about this concept of inheritance because for someone to give up that, that lifestyle, to give up the business and to pursue Jesus, they would forego anything that they would have in this life to provide for their family. There was nothing guaranteed them on, this, on, on earth anymore. They were following a rabbi and it, and it kind of let everything else go. And Jesus again is saying, you'll receive a hundredfold for that. He also said mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters. And there's this really interesting concept of just uh, when you become a Christian, we're all grafted in, right? Especially as Gentiles. There's not many of us in this room that are probably uh, can trace our lines directly to Jewish heritage or are professing to be in the Jewish culture. Um, but for those of us who are Gentiles and grafted into the kingdom of heaven through Jesus Christ, we are immediately adopted as heirs of Jesus into God's people. We, have this, we get to share in the inheritance of Jesus. That inheritance is Part of it is a down payment by the Holy Spirit that we receive once we become a Christian. And there's this in the future kind of perspective that he's talking about. But as children of God and as brothers and sisters, it's something that we've really just kind of made kind of a square. We've really mellowed it out. If you think about it, if we're brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, I should care about you. I have three siblings, uh, Caleb, Katie, and Chris. And yes, my name's Kyle. Caleb, Kyle, Katie, Chris. My parents were those parents. And... Uh, <clears throat> And I love them dearly. And honestly, if any one of them were to call me right now and say, I need you to come, I would go. I would do anything for them. But they're nuts. <laughs> I, I love them to death, but they're all nuts, each of them in their own way. And, uh, and, and some of them are following Jesus, and some of them are not following Jesus. And it's something that, I, that my wife and I pray for and we're challenged by all the time. But then you think of it in terms of Jesus saying, uh, if you lose brother, sister, father, mother, it's restored you a hundredfold. And again, he's saying it in this, in this age to come. I want you guys to look at the people to your left and right. Don't do it at the same time. Again, it's awkward if you don't look at anybody. At this, you look at the back of their head. But these are your brothers and sisters in the Lord. These are the mothers and fathers in the Lord. These are our family members, the church. And the church is big C, right? It, it's global. It, it's massive. 
And the love and affection, the relationships that we receive as Christians go so much deeper and so much further than those that we're born into. These are eternal relationships. We are the people we will see in the age to come serving the Lord and worshiping the King right alongside one another. We are the, the people, we are the family members that encourage one another. We're supposed to be there for when marriages are failing and jobs are lost. We're there to encourage when personal lives are being challenged through anxiety and depression. We're there to help when parenting is an issue. We're there, like, this is the church. This is our family members. This matters. And it's something in America where we've kind of lost that sentiment. But culturally for them, it would have made a lot of sense. Before we jump into the parable, I want you guys to hear it from uh, in the Gospel of Mark. So we heard this perspective in Matthew, and I often think of the Gospels as kind of watching a football game, or a soccer game, or a basketball game, or a vo- whichever game you're going to watch. But it's like if you read just Matthew, you're reading it from just the 50-yard line. But if you read Mark and Luke and John, then you get like the blimp view and the end zone views, and you get to see like the whole perspective of the game being played. So in Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 29, it talks the same verse, and it's Mark's perspective on it. He says, in verse 29, he says, I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and with them persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Matthew says in the age to come, Mark says, in this present age, I kind of take it like sweet. I think we get blessed both places. Here on earth, we get the church, the body of Christ. You're blessed with family members. Family members who, if we look at the, if we look at the rules that God placed for us to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves, we're there for one another. We're there to encourage marriages, to encourage the pursuit of Jesus in all things, to encourage and lift up each other, and push each other closer and deeper in relationship with the Lord as we're here on earth. Plus, we get to spend eternity with each other, which is pretty exciting. So all of this reward system Jesus lays out, and you can tell the disciples are probably sitting there much like I would have been, which is just kind of like, huh? You know, just like, what do you mean? And so Jesus, in Jesus' fashion, tells a really simple story uh, to help illustrate this concept of inheritance and this perspective on last and first, really trying to get Peter and the disciples to function into what it means, this idea of kingdom being kingdom-minded. So if you look at chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, I'll talk you through the parable pretty quickly so we can identify all the characters and a couple of key key moments and things. Number one, there's a landowner, and he owns a bunch of land, and he needs some workers. Uh, First thing I want to point out is there's not two landowners, and it's not mass ownership of the land. There's one landowner. It's his, and he has a plan for it, and it's harvest season, and he needs workers to pick pick the grapes or whatever it is he's producing, as a part of the economic system. It's his, and he's looking for workers. Number one. Number two, you see the other characters in the story. You see the workers, or the laborers, or however else your Bible uh, translates it. They are waiting to be hired. These are men who, for their livelihood, would be day laborers. They're not slaves. They're not forced into labor. They're not being treated uh, poorly. It's their job. It's how they work. They enter at 6 a.m., or at the beginning of the day, they show up at the marketplace, and they're ready to be hired to go and work for any master who needs their land taken care of. They're hired, they're paid a fair wage, and then it's really hand-to-mouth in this system. So they work all day, they get paid, and then they go to the markets, they purchase food, they go home, they feed their families, and on repeat. It's a part of their livelihood, it's their system, it's how they live. The landowner knows this. 
The landowner isn't going out and just trying to grab random people and say, come work. He's going right to where he knows the workers would be. He's going to the marketplace. They're there waiting. They're lined up to be hired. And he goes, and he hires them, the first group at 6 a.m. And he says, uh, you know, I got land. You want to work? They say yes. They agree on a price, a denarius or a denarii. Denarius, denarii. One of the two. I've heard of both ways. Uh, basically, it's an agreeable wage that everyone would work for a day. It's the same as what a Roman centurion would receive for their day's worth of work. It was not cheap. It was not too much. It was an expected wage. It made total sense. It was an agreed-upon wage, and so they went to work in the field. And then the master does an interesting thing. Normally, you'd think you'd go at the beginning, hire everybody you would need to do the job, and you'd go back. But then he goes back at 9 a.m. and finds another group and says, come work for me in my field. Or he says, what are you doing? And they say, well, we're waiting to get hired. And he says, okay, come work for me. I'll pay you what's fair. They don't agree upon a price. He does it again at noon. Same thing. He goes, finds another group and says, what are you doing? We're waiting to get hired. He says, come work for me. I'll pay you what's right. They say, okay. And then again at the fifth hour, right? Like, or 11th hour, right at 5 p.m. So like literally there's an hour left of the work week. He goes and he finds another group and they're just standing there and he says, why are you standing here all day? And they said, nobody would hire us. We couldn't get hired. And he said, well, you can come work for me and I'll pay you what's right. And they said, okay. And they go and they work. Then the day finishes and the master calls people up in order that's different than what was expected. Order was very, very important in Jewish culture. Uh, the way that inheritance was received was from first to last. The ways in which jobs were divvied up amongst family members was first to last. That's why being the firstborn was such a high elevated thing. Being the lastborn, you'd get the, the bummer element of work. Like you think of King David, before he was King David, he was Shepherd David. He was out with the sheep while all the other brothers were doing the cool jobs and had the big muscles. Little David was out hanging out with sheep. And let's be honest, sheep smell and they're kind of dumb. <clears throat> but order made sense. So for, the, for, again, you think of the disciples hearing this, the, the landowner doesn't start with the first who were there all day. He starts with the last. And he says, or, line them up in order of last to first. And he pays a denarius to the, those who worked for an hour, and they left. And the guys who were there first at 6 a.m., they're thinking, much like, let's be honest, if you had worked all day and you saw somebody at the end of the day get paid what you were expecting to get paid, wouldn't you think, I'm going to get 10 times as much or maybe a little bit more? Like, man, the owner's feeling a little generous today. That guy only worked an hour and got paid. Man, we did 12 hours, so I'm getting 12. Uh, and they get to the front, and they're paid the exact same. And then they grumble, and they complain. And the landowner hears it and says, what's the deal? And they said, well, you paid the last guy first, the, or the same as us. What's the, what's the deal? That's not right. And the landowner says, are, are you envious because of my generosity? An interesting question. Are you envious because of my generosity? And isn't it my money to do with what I see fit? So I want to pay them what I'm paying you. Take it and go, friend. It's a fair. We agreed upon it. And then he says the last will be first and the first will be last. Parables are an interesting thing to kind of take a look at. And I struggle often because I try to take them way too deep. You know, you try to figure out all the different things. And honestly, parables, you guys, are these stories that have truth in them, that have uh, characters that are rational, that would make sense because there's a, there's a message and there's a truth in there that Jesus is trying to convey and trying to help tie the two ideas together. What he talked about with reward and this first and last image. A parable that doesn't have characters that are relatable or understandable or rational, 
it's not a parable, it's more of mythology. And, there, and then it's really hard to figure out what does that mean for my life if it's just a myth. A parable is something that's practical and would make sense. So when I read this, and if you guys have read this, I'm sure you have. People have preached on this message a lot of times. Um, when I first read it and I first was getting ready and thinking it through, obviously like the first takeaway for me is from my Western perspective and I just think, you know what? Jesus, cross the board. We're all getting paid. <laughs> Quit complaining. And, that, and that's kind of where it lands a lot of times. And, and uh, over the course of the week, I was just like incredibly challenged by those first couple verses leading into this parable. And then this question that I kept asking myself as I was praying about this this week, it's, uh, and I think it's kind of fundamental, at least for this morning, how we're going to look at that parable. It's why would a landowner who's a good businessman, has a plan, obviously wealthy, knows the normal cultural things, why on earth would a landowner pay somebody who worked an hour at the end of the day the same amount as he would pay the person who started at 6 a.m. for a full day's work? I think that's where, the, that's where the question comes in, right? There's this whole, you keep hearing first and last, first and last, and last and first, and you really come down to that question. Why would he do that? How would that make rational sense? And I think it's because they wowed him. Before I go further, I don't want you to hear prosperity gospel or works-based gospel. Again, across the board, we all got paid. When you enter into the family of God and you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is by faith alone, not works. And it is through his grace and his mercy of his son, Jesus Christ, that died on the cross for your place that we are saved. Not anything you could have done about it. The best part about that message is we get to accept it, acknowledge it, and he transforms our life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's the gospel message. We're all saved into eternity. That's pretty stinking exciting. Right? Okay, just checking. Just checking. But the second part of the challenge is this whole parable. And I think what we have done, I know I have done in my own life, and I get scared to do even, even on this morning, is we as an American church have made working for God and giving our best and, and performing and doing a bad thing. Because we think it's immediately works-based. We've made it wrong to, to think you should do your best for God. We've made it Oh, you're just, you're not, you're not living into the grace. You're not accepting the free gift of, of, uh, of Jesus Christ. And, and so I'm not saying that the free gift of Jesus Christ is removed, but why would we not work for the Lord? If he saved us, redeemed us, we no longer have to fear death, hell, and the grave. We are redeemed. We have an inheritance, that of Jesus, the Christ. We are grafted into something that we couldn't possibly fathom and we have a hope for a future that we can't explain, why would we not want to do our best for the Lord? Why is that a bad thing? As a, as this question I've been wrestling with this week as I was thinking about which message to, to, to share. And this is kind of where it kind of it changes for me. So with that question, I start to process through, well, what, would that, what does that mean? And like, how would that transpire? How does that equate to our life? How does that look? And the reality of it is this, you guys. I think this is, I think that the landowner valued the opportunity and the work that was done in the opportunity by those people at the end of the day. Again, think of it culturally and put it back into context. These day laborers all went out at 6 a.m. to find work. 
because they all needed to get hired so that they could get paid so that they could feed their families. Some people got hired right away, some people in the middle, some people at the end. We're going to contrast the first and the last because that seems to be the continuous message. People at the beginning worked 12 hours. They essentially worked minimum wage for a full day. Have any of you ever picked vegetables all day? Anyone? Yes? Would you do it again? Absolutely not. In a word, backbreaking. It is not fun. I grew up in a farming community, and sometimes my brothers and I would get paid to go and pick onions and different vegetables at these farms where farmers really didn't like tractors and they wanted things to be hand-picked. God bless them. And uh, it was backbreaking work. We would start at 6 a.m. and we would be done around 6 p.m. And the first part of that day, right, if you're working and you're getting hired and you're hired for a fair wage, that first part of the day, it's cool and you're motivated and you're excited and you're working hard. Man, I'm just picking vegetables left and right and they're landing in the basket. But come about like 11.30, I'm getting a little hungry because I didn't eat breakfast because I was silly. And uh, I start to slow down a little bit. I'm waiting for that lunch break. Lunch break happens. And then I walk out and the sun is really hot. I mean, really hot. You're wearing long sleeves and hats so that you don't get completely sunburned. And uh, quickly, the best thing in the world sounds like a nap, but those aren't allowed. And so you just keep on working. But instead of like going ham with the vegetables, I'm now kind of like, oh, goodness. One, right? And two. And I'm making, I'm watching the clock, and I'm just like, oh, just take it easy till 6 o'clock. Just make it, ride it out. Work, but ride it out. Now, I was thinking about it in that context of just like thinking this parable through. If somebody was hired at 5 p.m., and I knew, and we were ending at 6, that guy, and he was going to get paid the same as me. He would come out at 5. Don't you think he'd work real hard for an hour? Roles reversed. I get hired. I really need the money. I need gas for the car. I need food for my house. And somebody offers me to work for the last hour of the day. And he says, I'll pay you what's right. I'm going to show him what's right. I'm going to go out and I'm going to pick more vegetables than anyone else next to me because I, I want to not only be thankful, but I want, to, I want him to know I'm worth it. Like, I, I'm going to do the work. I'm, gonna, I'm going for it. I'm all in because I need the money. I know it's kind of a rude, crude kind of like crossover of perspectives, but you guys, in Christian life, I think what we do is we, we, we nominalize working for the Lord. And I'm not trying to challenge or push anybody's buttons here, uh, but I am trying to point you closer to Jesus and that serving him has to be more than just praying the sinner's prayer and then being done and waiting for glory. We have a whole life. And I think just like the landowner valued opportunity, I believe that God values opportunity in all of our lives, and I believe that we all have opportunities, and they will be different. Some of you uh, are really, really smart. Some of you are really, really strong. Some of you are tall, short. Some of you are brilliant. Some of you uh, went to college and have degrees. Some of you have started on businesses. Some of you are brilliant business people. Some of you are just incredibly hard workers. But you all are on this planet, and we all know what Jesus said. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. None of us get beyond those two, because it says so. Jesus said, "In in all these things, everything is fulfilled. And so when you look at the life, I believe that when it comes to this reward system, you guys, I think the challenge is, is that there, there is a reward for us in the kingdom and in this age to come, whatever that may be. I'm not trying to get into all this eschatological, I can't even say the word, end time stuff. But I mean, when I read what Jesus said, and I look at how many times in the kingdom that he's laying out for the disciples, all through the book of Matthew that we've been in for like 50 years now, 
Every time we read a different principle, it's always this upside down kingdom. It's always love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. It's uh, give your cloak and your other one. Turn your other cheek when you're hit. Walk two miles with somebody who wants one mile. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this, this constant challenge for this kingdom, this age that is coming, and it's different than what we can, we can grasp because I think it's different than what we can grasp. But Jesus is trying to make these connections for us. And in this, there is a reward for the work that we do. There's places all over scripture. Paul talks about it. Uh, Timothy talks about it. Peter talks about it. John talks about it. He encouraged, and James talks about it. It's not just by your belief. It's by the things that you do. It's a surrendered, submitted life unto Christ in the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's by his church that others are saved. Jesus didn't call us all to be preachers. He didn't call us all to be deacons. He called us all to be witnesses. And you can witness doing anything. I'll put this to you. There's two examples that kind of painted this for me as I was thinking this through. Number one, y'all know Billy Graham? Right. I mean, mostly. You've at least heard of him, Billy Graham. He's a pretty good guy. Uh, he preached two thousands. Uh, in the re most recent years, some of these big pillars of faith have been held to the flame and some really bummer stuff has come out about him and it's really hard for the church but with Billy Graham it's really interesting they've tried to tear his life apart and he loved the Lord and loved his family and preached the good news of Jesus Christ had tons and tons of opportunity he preached in stadiums he preached online he preached on tv uh, he preached on the radio and it was the first thing that you could do uh, he taught classes up until the very very end of his life he was preaching I was listening to an interview they gave to him and at one point, he was preaching 354 days out of the year, and sometimes multiple times each day. He was constantly giving glory to God and constantly telling people about Jesus and what you might need to follow him. Ma massive opportunity, did amazing things for the Lord. Now contrast that with the thief on the cross. Not the dumb one, the semi-dumb one. Dumb one, you know, ridiculed Jesus right, in, right until he died, poor guy. The other one started out that way. He made fun of Jesus. He was like, oh, look at this guy, this joker. Yeah, come on down if you're the Messiah and take us down with you. But then in the course of about two hours, uh, two, three hours, uh, he saw something that changed his perspective on Jesus. He recognized that Jesus was the son of God. He recognized God in flesh. And he told the other uh, thief, he said, quit ridiculing. You got to stop doing that. Like, we're up here because we deserve it. He's done nothing. And then he looked at Jesus and he said, please remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus says, like, yeah, even today, even in this hour, you'll be with me in the kingdom of heaven. Now, he was a Christian for about 15 minutes. And he did everything that you need to do as a Christian. Lived a massively full life in 15 minutes. He gave God glory. He recognized his deity. He surrendered his life to him. And then he witnessed to the only other person he could, right? Because he's not coming off the cross. So he just looks across and he tries to tell the next person, don't be dumb. And I want to put this out to you in this perspective when looking at the parable in this way. The reward that Billy Graham and this uh, criminal get, I would say are probably pretty close to equal because of the opportunity that they had, they used it to the fullest for the glory of God, not for themselves. My challenge to you as we wrap up, and I'll call the worship team up, my challenge to you is this. It's not so much that we need to worry about are we all going to get paid. You're all going to get paid. As Christians, you are saved. You don't lose your salvation like, oh my goodness, I, I can't remember where I put my salvation, right? No, you ha you're saved. You gave your life to Christ, you know Jesus, 
and in a pursuit of him, then it becomes this idea and this opportunity to get to know God more and more each day and to be challenged. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have issues. You're going to have falls. But each time you can submit your life back to him and you can ask him, Lord, give me an opportunity. And in that opportunity, to see it through the lens that Jesus gave us, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourself. Would you guys stand with me? I'll, I'll pray for you. The last, last challenge I just thought I'd put out there is, uh, is this. If, you, if you're kind of wanting to think on it, and if you have issue with what I've talked about, please come and talk to me. I'm not trying to say that I have a corner on the truth here. I just have been challenged by it in my own life. And pray, as praying for you guys, that's what I felt like the Lord wanted me to share this morning. But number one, run your race. It's before you. You have your life, whether it's today or whether you have 50 years, you have your life and you are the only one who can make decisions for your life. So first, get to know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, ask somebody in this room because somebody in this room knows Jesus and they can lead you into a relationship with him or come and talk to me. And then second, honor the Lord with what, it, what, it, what we get to do every day, which is we get to wake up each morning to his mercies anew and embrace the day through the giftings and opportunities we have. And we get to use the resources for that he's given us. That's your time, your talents, and your money. So not just money, it's your time and your talents too. What can God use and do through your life? Something at least to take to him. Amen? Lord, thank you so much for uh, who you are. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenges that are in it. Lord, I pray that um, you would encourage each and every person here in this room right now to to be in relationship with you, whether it's the first time they meet you today or whether it's just a continual relationship that they build every single day, Lord. I pray that first and foremost, you bring peace and encouragement to their lives. God, I pray that you would um, show them what it means to use everything that you have put in them that they already have access to for the glory of what it is you're doing. Help us to attach ourselves to your will and not our own. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for a hope and a future. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.